Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, uh, an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, Messianic Gentiles and Messianic Jews, studying together the Word of God. That's the Old Testament and the New Testament from the point of view of Yeshua HaMashiach. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For as Ephesians 2, 14, 13 says, But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were formerly far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he is our peace who has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new humanity, thus making peace, and he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. So we're fortunate today because we're getting to talk about the law and Mount Sinai and the New Testament portion, which is about the blood of Yeshua that brings us both together into one new man. So, Jerry, take it away. What are we studying today? We're looking at the portion of the Torah where the people come to Mount Sinai, and they're going to uh, hear God speak the Ten Commandments. We have a fabulous Haftorah portion, that's Isaiah chapter 6, the incredible vision of uh, God that he was given, uh, high and lifted up, and uh, the, ro- the, the train of his robe filled the temple, <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> uh, our New Testament portion, which uh, is a comparison of life under the Old Covenant given at Sinai and a comparison to the new covenant that we have in Yeshua. So uh, I didn't say hello to everyone. I want to welcome everybody uh, listening, and thank you for, for joining us. Uh, what we're going to try and do today is show uh, this important transaction, the relationship that was established and how it was established uh, in covenant at Sinai, and see how this plays out from the moment in Exodus uh, 19 and 20 when the people come to the mountain and how Moses will allude to it so strongly uh, after the 40 years of wandering, preparing them to go into the uh, promised land and then finally showing uh, its redemptive outworking, if you will, uh, as the writer of Hebrews sees, sees that process. If we could do that, then... Uh, hopefully we'll have some time left to talk about a few other issues that uh, come up with in these portions. And, you know, we're we're going to talk about the Torah portion that has the Ten Commandments in it and have very little time to actually talk about the Ten Commandments. Uh, but that's kind of the way it is week after week is there's way more uh, in our in our Bible portions than we can actually find time to talk about in an hour. But uh, that's going to be the, the strategy <clears throat> today. And so we're going to begin in uh, Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and what I'd like to uh, ask everyone to do is really try and see yourself at Sinai. There's a lot of sensory information that's given here. And... <clears throat> the effect of it all is to give us a sense of the glory of God. And I heard a really great definition recently of the word glory. Uh, and I'll plug the guy, Albert Moeller. Uh, he's, he's a uh, public Christian intellectual, I guess I'd call him. Um, he has a, a podcast called The Briefing where he talks about... Uh, News of the day from a Christian worldview. It's worth a listen. But at any rate, the other day he was t- answering somebody's question about what, what exactly do we mean by the glory of God? 
And he said, the glory of God is the internal reality and the external manifestation of God's greatness. Amen. So let me say that again. It is the internal reality and the external manifestation of God's greatness. And God's greatness, of course, covers so many bases, his moral perfection, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, just the greatness of God, the, that, that he is so transcendent, so far beyond who we are. And that's, the, you know, the, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits the heavens, uh, I also dwell, and this is what's so magnificent about our God, is that he is this great being <clears throat> who says, I will also dwell with the lowly and the humble in spirit, right? So we have this, this beautiful picture uh, that God presents to us of, of his, we call transcendence, his greatness, but also this other idea of his wanting to be near and present, his imminence. And in Yeshua, <clears throat> we have this <clears throat> embodied greatness near us. And so Yeshua brings together both of these facets of God's greatness, transcendence and imminence in his own person. But anyway, what I, I started out to say, Mount Sinai is this amazing sensory experience for the people. And what I'd like all of us to try and do is, is engage our senses, our perceptions here to try and imagine what it must have been like to experience what they actually experienced, that this is all about the revelation of the glory of God, the greatness of God coming down physically onto the earth. And remember, we're not talking about a, a, a physical body, but we're talking about the presence of God creating all these things because of his greatness coming near. Okay? <clears throat> so, in chapter 19, <clears throat> they come to Sinai, and God says to Moses in verse, well, let me start in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine." And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So <clears throat> he begins by laying out what's going to happen in covenant. Hey, hey, Jerry, could I mention? Yeah. mention just, just want to uh, give it a, a little more background. <clears throat> They've been in the and walking through the desert for about three months now. About two, two and a half million people is estimated, and God has. Before that, God, is only, according to the Bible, has only reached out to about 15, 17 people that he has spoken to. So now he's getting ready to reveal himself to this mountain, and it's a big, big event. And I just think it's, uh, I can't imagine being at the base of that mountain. And the mountain is one of the, not the tallest, but one of the biggest mountains in the area. And, and what he's about to do. But go ahead, Jerry, mm -hmm. I didn't mean to do anything. Yeah. And, and I think it's... Uh the commentary here is really important as we go forward and we talk about Yeshua in the, in, in the context of Hebrews because it says, The purpose is greater than the instrument. So with the Jews, they are God's instrument and as such a peculiar treasure. But the work is far greater than the instrument. Israel, in common with every other nation, forms part of God's possession, but he has chosen Israel to be a light unto the nations and a blessing to all humanity. <clears throat> there is no thought of favoritism in God's choice. Israel's call has not been to privilege and rulership, but to martyrdom and service. And Yeshua is like the distillation of that mm -hmm. martyrdom and service. Good point, Lee. Amen. Um, we don't want to go too far off track, but um, the word martyr has come to mean giving your life for a cause. Uh, but in, in the New Testament times, when that word was used in the 
in the New Testament, it simply meant uh, a witness, someone who gives testimony. Now, ultimately, uh, many of them gave testimony by giving their lives. But, you know, we can dial that back to, to that verse that we, we come back to so many times. Uh, we are called to be martyrs, witnesses for Christ, by taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Yeshua, right? Which is a death call, right? Right. Uh, Bonhoeffer says when Yeshua calls a man, he calls him to die. And there is that ultimate death that we could give our lives. Uh, somebody could execute us because we wouldn't recant our faith. But there's the day-to-day dying to ourself that's called for to, to martyr ourselves, to give witness to the fact that we belong to someone else. Good point, Jerry. So martyrdom and service, witness and service, absolutely is uh, who Yeshua, you know, I, I came to, to reveal the Father. Uh, he gave his life in service to the Father and to the people around him. And as his followers, we are called to imitate him in just that way as well. Sure. That's a good one. <clears throat> Back in uh, Exodus 19, then, the people answered and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to Hashem, the Lord, and Hashem said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So, uh, this is part of uh, something that Jesus refers to when, remember, uh, in the story about uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, the, the rich man asks if, the, if Jesus could at least send Lazarus back to, to tell his brothers, uh, you know, don't, come, don't come where I am. And Je remember what Yeshua says to him? He says, that they have Moses. If they won't believe Moses, they won't believe me either. Right. Wow, that's so true. Hey, hey, Jerry, can I mention one thing on, on, chapter, yeah, absolutely. On, on, ver, on verse seven? Let me read that if I could, please. It's uh, after Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people before them with the words and the Lord commanded him. Tell all the people. And then all the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses <coughs> brought these people's words back to the Lord. And I just want to say that this is the, the marriage vows that they're taking right here. This is, I mean, if you look at a, a regular wedding, somebody's wedding, it's it's not the party or the reception or the people getting together. It's the vows that are exchanged in a wedding that uh, that make things the most important. And this is where they're exchanging the vows right here that 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 you see on, on chapter mm -hmm. 19. Mm -hmm. Okay. So because he is coming to them, uh, we get these words, verse 10 Hashem said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Hashem, the Lord, will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You shall set limits for all the people all around, saying, take care. Don't go up on the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. <coughs> <clears throat> whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So there is <clears throat> a call to be ready, right? That's really what we're talking about. Be ready. God's coming among you. And here's how you'll do it. You wash yourselves, you get yourselves clean, you refrain from sexual activity, and you focus on this idea that God is coming among us. Be ready, be prepared by consecrating yourself, setting yourself apart. That's this whole idea uh, behind the word holy, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> so here's, here's where the sensory stuff, and this is where I'd like everybody to really try and get a sense of what this must have been like. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. So, 
Do you suppose that this was thunder and lightning like your average thunderstorm, or do you suppose this was something they had never witnessed before? Never witnessed before. I, I, I would suspect so. And it says, a thick cloud came on the mountain. <clears throat> Again, um, I think this cloud represents the presence of God because he had been in front of them as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, right? And so this is something even cloudier <laughs> than, than what they were used to, I think. So, so there's this, this loud thunder, bright lightning at, at a level and a crescendo that they had never experienced. There's this cloud, a thick cloud that comes down and covers the mountain. And now we have a very loud trumpet blast. So you're hearing a trumpet. You know this sound. It comes from the shofar, the ram's horn that <clears throat> they, they, they're familiar with, but in a, in a way, in, in, in a level that has never been experienced before. And not only that, it's coming from a completely invisible source. It's a trumpet from heaven. All the people in the camp trembled. So here you are experiencing all of this, and you and all of your neighbors are shaken in your boots, right? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Adonai had descended on it in fire. So again, just imagine, here's this mountaintop, and you've been called out. It was bad enough when you were in the camp, and all this stuff has taken place, but now you've been called up right to the foot of the mountain. Now, don't go any further, or you're going to have to be stoned to death. But here's where I want you, right here. And now we have, wrapped in smoke, the Lord had descended in fire. So now the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So, so the, the earth is shaking now. You can feel it under your feet. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, it wasn't loud enough before, but it's growing even louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Hashem, the Lord, came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Adonai called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So, again, just try and imagine being there in that moment. You're standing there. You hear the thunder and the trumpet blast getting louder and louder. You feel the earth shaking underneath you. You see fire on the top of the mountain and smoke like you've never seen rising. I'd tremble greatly. Yes. <laughs> I'd be trembling greatly too. And so this is, this, this is what happens when God draws near. The glory of God comes down. It can't be restrained. God is who he is. And when he shows up, it's going to cause great trembling. The fear of the Lord. Not just being afraid that uh, you know, I might die here, but just this awesome glory in front of me presenting itself. The fear of the Lord. And so Moses goes up in the mountain uh, he's given the, the uh, warning again, don't let the people break through. Uh, let everybody consecrate themselves. Moses even doesn't completely uh, <clears throat> sense how, how that's, that's a, 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 a new command. He says, the people cannot come up, 23, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And so all of this is taking place the people are, are wondering, you know, Moses went up. Now the Lord sends Moses back down. And the point here I want to make, if you look at the text, I think that Moses, as we come to chapter 20 in the revelation of the 10 words, Moses is back down among the people when God speaks the 10 words. And I think the point is what we celebrate about our legal justice system here. No one is above the law that Moses was down there 
needing to receive those commandments just the same as the ordinary Joe or Jane, as the case may be, right? That he was not above the law. He didn't have a special position. He wasn't up on the mountain and kind of passing down the law along with God. No, he's down here receiving it. He'll be brought back up the mountain for some other laws after chapter 20, after the 10 words. But this is, this is the mighty, mighty impression that God wants to put on the people. This glory that you are witnessing, this glory that you're feeling you know, from the ground through your feet, you can come into covenant with me and you will be my special people. You'll be my treasured possession. And here are the terms of the covenant that we will work out together, right? Right. Lee, you look like Yeah, I, I love the way you're painting the picture and setting the scene of the fire and the cloud and the smoke and the loud trumpet and the shaking of the earth and the fear of the people. I mean, that... If we were there, we'd have we'd be afraid for sure, and and I was thinking about you share with me, Jerry, that your son had said, you know that the one of the problems that we've that he had noticed is that in the church is that people there's not as much fear of the Lord, and you know everyone wants to go, oh, God is love, and you know and the, and they don't want to remember. That God set a boundary here, and the boundary is very clear. You cross this boundary, you're going to die. So it's not just the shaking of the earth and everything. There is a boundary, and we need a mediator. And when we get to Hebrews, we're going to see that the shaking isn't just repeated there and the you know, but what's also repeated is this idea of the boundary that is talked about here. If you cross it, you're going to be shot through the heart or whatever it, mm-hmm. it says here. Yeah. 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 Gee, I would also like to say that this this event um, uh, determines the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. This is the the premier event. You know, we this is where the law is given, but all the other pro- subsequent prophets that come after this event always refer to this event right here and what it means mm-hmm. and if you if you can understand this event and what it means the old testament is 75 percent of the bible and everything hinges on this event right here which i think is incredible in the old testament of course we have jesus coming and that changes things a little bit but mm-hmm. these laws are written on stone and when jesus comes those same laws will be written on our hearts yes and uh i love it and this is one of my yeah. favorite events to study mm-hmm Yes, this is uh, just so awesome, and the fear of the Lord is is being taught to them firsthand, <laughs> right? Um, and the fear of the Lord is a, a tremendously important uh, Old Covenant concept that does not get quite as much play in the New Covenant, but it's there if you look for it. And even in our Hebrews passage, it's going to remind us at the end of chapter 12 that our God is a consuming fire. Right. And, and, you know, when we have experiences in life, the really intense experiences we have of where there's fear and emotion aroused, those things penetrate us and stick with us and form us and, and, you know, become part of our substance. And at this moment, when there are fear and shaking, they get the 10 words the intention here is for God, he's like branding them and saying, listen, shaking them, listen, mm-hmm. love the Lord thy God. Don't have any graven images. Don't have mm-hmm. idols. He goes through these 10 words and, and, and shake them and go, this is how you're meant to live and walk with a holy God. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, and Jerry, one other thing is, uh, they, and this event establishes a covenant relationship with Israel. I mean, they they took that oath. They agreed to to to, to obey these commandments. And and in Jeremiah thirty one thirty one through thirty three, he he talks about this is where Israel became God's wife, 
and he and God is the husband. And I think that I mean all this came about is be, is to establish them as as a as a covenant relationship with Israel. Mm-hmm. God did. So when they took the oath, everything is here and everything hinges from this point forward on this relationship until Jesus comes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and the covenant is, you know, what really binds them together to these laws and commandments and and how the laws and commandments in the from the new covenant perspective has said they condemn us because none of us can keep these 10 words we all fall short and therefore we all need salvation and we need a mediator mediator like we're going to talk about in hebrews today and and you know i think the the deuteronomy passage is a really you know good bridge to that and and this and this covenant comes with conditions you know they they have to the honor those those ten commandments mm-hmm. and to stay in covenant mm-hmm. yeah well and that's what part of what paul will bring up uh, because they said everything the lord said uh, we will do yeah. and paul points out that none of us do that and that's why we are in need of a savior for yeah. sure so let me let me just say since we've brought about the, the fear of the lord here uh, prior to this passage was when uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro came and suggested a plan for Moses to judge the people uh, and take some of the stress off of himself by appointing what Jethro described as able men. And here was the first characteristic of an able person that he should look for, men who fear God. And I thought the commentary uh, was, was really right on there because people who fear God won't fear men. There you go. And so uh, that is uh, a good word for us today. Then uh, if, you're, if, if you're in fear of men, maybe what you ought to check is your fear of God. Mm-hmm. But Jerry, look what <coughs> it says in, in, in uh, verse 21. But you should select... From all the people, able men, God-fearing, like you said, trustworthy, and hating bribes. Yeah, that's. I mean, he's, they're looking for men of integrity to deal to deal godly advice to the people. Right. Well, I just wanted to use that one yeah. little piece to tie together the fear of God. Um, so, wait, just before we pass on from this fear of God, because it it, it really impressed me what you're. Your son said that the fear of God is sort of gone from our culture in a large part. And and I think that it feeds narcissism because, you know, someone who is undisciplined and pleasure-seeking and has no fear of God has no restraint. And, you know, without... I mean, the, the whole point of the Ten Words, of the Ten Commandments, is to impose a godly restraint upon us so that when we walk in obedience and we can commune and have a clear con- commune with God by having a clear conscience, by walking in obedience, we can understand what it is to walk with a holy God. That's why when we fall short, we need a mediator because we don't have a clear conscience. But to throw out the fear of God is almost like throwing out the reason, the impetus to have a conscience. It's, it, we need a healthy, reverent fear of God, the creator of the universe, who cares enough about this dust of the earth that's created in his image that he would reveal himself to us at Sinai Amen. and reveal the, the, the laws that make it so that we can try to walk with him in obedience and love mm-hmm. because of fear. Mm-hmm. We, we, we want to obey and love him because of reverent fear. 
And those laws he gave us uh, for, uh, for us to fear God, he, those laws he gave us are for our protection and our provision. He has his best, uh, he has our best interests at heart. That's why he gave them to us. And if we follow our own natural desires and forfeit these ten laws, we lead to destruction. And that's why a loving God that, f- that we should fear has given these laws to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should maybe draw out the idea that to fear the Lord is not simply the idea of terror, fear, but also the idea of awe and reverence. And I think <clears throat> the awe part can be understood, again, if we, if we try and place ourselves at Mount Sinai and see all that they saw and hear and feel all that they saw and heard and felt, that we would be in awe of the being <laughs> that came down on that mountain and all that stuff happened. And uh, there is the awe and then the reverence, the how, how the best way to honor uh, or to, to define reverence is there's an honoring involved to give honor to something, to hold it very, very dear and precious, I think is an idea in reverence. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about all three of those facets, if you will. We're talking about the genuine fear that comes from being in the presence of somebody who can squash you like a bug. But we're also talking about the awe that is inspired by a being so great and the reverence that should come from that to to hold that being so dear to us, so precious, that we want nothing more than when we get to the Shema to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul because of that foundation of fearing the Lord, that the proper response is the loving obedience, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the, 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 the 10 words we talk about there for our good, it's not just that they're for our good, even something greater than that. They are the expression of God's moral perfection. And that when we are in line with God, that that is our desire to be morally like him, to be perfect as he is perfect. Jesus says that uh, in, in the Gospels, you know, he, he reiterates what we see in Leviticus, be holy for the Lord your God is holy, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, right? And so the, the, the 10 words are the, the, the moral representation of, uh, of, of God, the moral statement about him, and, you know, we, we are then told to obey them out of awe and reverence and love because in doing that, we are aligning ourselves with God himself, what God values as important, and what God values as life-giving. You know, we talk about boundaries. When we break the law, what's on the other side? When we break that boundary, the other side is death. So the, we, we tend to think of the law as, as dealing death, but in fact, the law is meant to guide us in the paths of life. Right? Right. I mean, read Psalm 19. It's ways the ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Right? It's the boundary. It, it's almost the boundary around Sinai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's when you were talking about the picture of reverent awe, I was I'm struck when we get here in a little bit in Exodus 34 after God passes by. Moses and Moses falls down on his face mm. in reverent <clears throat> awe struck, you yeah. know, and, and that's, I mean, it's not just that the earth is shaking and there's fire and thunder, but, you know, the voice of God speaks out to them and, and tells them what it is to be holy they should fall on their face. Right. <laughs> and we should fall on our face, right. you know, in reverent awe. Because he says in Exodus 25, he says, Thou shalt not bow down unto, unto them, that's unto idols or graven images, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Because he wants us to bow to him. 
because he loves us so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think this whole thing, and, and also it refers to um, this event in, uh, on the rest of the, um, the uh, Torah, is, is that the prophets are continually taking the people of Israel back to this event. This is, this is where we establish it, guys. These are the rules. You but, know? you know, you know the, the problem with this word love, right, is in our hearing, we think as love is unconditional love that there aren't conditions. Not that he doesn't have unconditional love because he would give himself his his only begotten son for our salvation. So we don't even know what unconditional love is and his agape love giving without receiving. Yes, that's unconditional love. And there are conditions, there are boundaries. And he does the boundaries out of love because he knows that when we cross those boundaries and we're out and our conscience is, you know, dirty, we can't commune with him, we are separated from him. And the whole point of Yeshua is to tear the veil of separation so that we can commune with the Lord because Yeshua paid the price. Amen. 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 Well, <clears throat> so here's this this awesome moment for the people standing on the mount, standing near the mountain. They witness all of this. Uh, the Lord speaks the the ten words, and in chapter twenty, verse eighteen, it says this: When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, "You speak to us." And we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. So this is what uh, Moses is referring to. If we can jump ahead then to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Because remember last week we talked about the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. I think that that's a thread that comes through again uh, today uh, as, as we think about some of these issues in Deuteronomy 18, this is after the generation has died in the wilderness and the new generation is ready to uh, enter the land. Moses speaks to them about how they're going to continue to hear from God once he's gone, right? He's right. been the prophet. He's been the mediator. And how is God going to speak to the people without a prophet, right? That says, don't, don't, don't let God talk to us. <laughs> you do it. Uh, we'll listen to you. Let God talk to you and we'll hear from you, Right. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Hashem, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of Hashem, your God, at Horeb, that's Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of Hashem, my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Hashem said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And then he goes on to talk about presumptive prophets, but here's here's the point we want to connect, is that God promises that there will be a prophet that will be raised up to speak to the people on God's behalf. Now, when Yeshua shows up on the scene, remember that's one of the things they ask him is, are you the prophet? The prophet. So that there was an expectation that there was going to be somebody coming along uniquely like Moses to speak uh, with God in a more direct way than anybody ever had to transmit that knowledge and that information to the people. But let's remember that <clears throat> along the way, God raised up many prophets to speak his word on his behalf to the people. And re- let's remember also the primary call of the prophets is not to tell the future. The primary call of the prophets is to bring the people back from where they are going wrong. The prophets were moral agents. The prophets were preachers of righteousness saying, this is our righteous God, this is his righteous standard, and you are deviating in so many ways. 
you have gone off track. That was the role of the prophet and to bring them back. And then, of course, God did give them predictive words, wonderful words about the future, their immediate future, as well as their, their long-term, what we call eschatological, last days future, right? The vision of the, of, of the kingdom of God that the prophets lift up in so many different places. But their primary calling in that setting to those people was, you are way off track. God is sick of what you're doing. Come back. He's calling you back. Come back, come back, right? So God reminds them of this strategic time in their lives when the fear of God was so great they couldn't even bear to hear the word of God, but they were willing to listen to Moses. He's saying God's going to raise up another prophet in the last days. And so we come to the book of Hebrews. So, So here again is the mention of don't forget what you saw at Sinai. So there were still some people, there were some, you know, remember everybody over 20 died. So there were some 20-year-olds who saw what happened at Mount Sinai and some 15-year-olds. And now 40 years later, they're 60 or they're 55 or they're, you know. So there's a good chunk of people still who experience what happened at Mount Sinai when Moses tells them this. All right. When we get to the New Covenant, and the book of Hebrews is just this phenomenal book that we we uh, understand is meant to contrast the Old Covenant with the New Covenant on a number of different levels and to demonstrate that everything in Yeshua is better. Just better. Not that that other part was bad, just this is better. And so he is introduced to us at the beginning of the book of Hebrews as the prophet. God in various times and in various ways spoke to us, spoke to the fathers through the prophets. But now in these last days has spoken to us by his son, Yeshua. And then that whole first chapter talks about Yeshua in such wonderful, wonderful terms. He's the exact image of the invisible God and all all those things. But the point here that we want to make this at this time is just simply he's the prophet. He is the new revelator. He is God speaking once more from Sinai to the people through the prophet. Only now... When we get to chapter 12, we're not talking about being people of Mount Sinai, but people of a different mountain. So let's look at chapter 12 of uh, Hebrews. And one of the other things about Hebrews that we have to make mention is if you look carefully, there are several places. So, so this is a letter primarily written to Jewish believers, encouraging them not to give up on Yeshua. That, that's, that's the point of this. And throughout this letter, there are several warnings about going back. Remember, if there were warnings under the old covenant about departing from that covenant, we're talking about a greater covenant, how much more will be the penalty for leaving out of this covenant? And it, he comes up in a f- several different places throughout, throughout this letter that we have been given something greater, something more permanent, something far beyond the scope of what was given to the Jewish people under the Old Covenant. If there was, if, if the Old Covenant had been, had been perfect, there would be no place for a new one, is, right. is part of the argument, right? So we get to chapter 12, and beginning in verse 18, <clears throat> well, <laughs> He uh, actually is, is coming out of a section where he was talking about let, let no one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his, his, uh, his birthright for a single meal, uh, he said, this is uh, his plea that they should strive for holiness. Uh, for you know, let me begin in 17 then, for you know that afterward when he, Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Okay, so he is drawing a distinction between that situation and what has happened to us. What in Yeshua, he says, because you did not come to what may be touched, 
So we're not talking about a physical blessing here. He did not come to what may be touched, like Mount Sinai. He did not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg no further messages be spoken to them. That terrifying time at Mount Sinai, that's not where we're at. No. They, it says, verse 20, if they could not endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses, right? Moses said, I tremble with fear. You have not come to that situation. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What he is trying to get us to see here is there was a physical reality that provoked awe and fear in the people that saw it and heard it and experienced it. But we are coming to a spiritual reality that was experienced in the flesh for that generation of people when Yeshua walked the earth. But already by the time of Hebrews... And there's clearly some question about what the actual date is, since we don't even know who the actual author is. Lots of speculation. But certainly by the time that this letter is written, um, we know that there are successive generations of people who have grown up and come to be believers that were not there, eyewitnesses for the glory of God in the body of Yeshua. And so he's talking about... Yeshua, Jesus, representing the greater spiritual reality. I mean, that's what's been going on in previous. You know, there was the earthly tabernacle that was really the picture of the heavenly tabernacle. There was the earthly priest that was really a picture of Jesus who would come in the line of Melchizedek. And so here, too, he's talking about there was this, this physical mountain that caused fear and trembling. But now you are coming to Mount Zion, the location not of the physical temple, but the spiritual temple of God. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this, of course, is, is, is John's vision at the end of Revelation. Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, comes down and God's dwelling is, is uh, on earth with men. But here we're being drawn up because it hasn't come down yet. We have come to that city. We are now citizens of that kingdom. We dwell in the presence. And this is, this is you know, again, asking us to do something that's very hard for our Western minds to, to, to get around. There are angels all around. Innumerable angels, he says. In festal gathering, that is, they are dressed to celebrate. Right? We have come to the assembly of the firstborn. The firstborn is Yeshua himself. He's the firstborn of creation. Uh, that is not talking about uh, a chronological firstborn, but rather the rights of the firstborn. He is the inheritor of all things. We have come to his gathering, his community, his, in Greek, the ecclesia, in Hebrew, the kahal, the community of Messiah, Right? And they are enrolled in heaven. That is, they're registered. You know, think of voter registration. That's what he's talking That's That's the same idea here. You go to your local precinct and you register. Well, here you're registered in heaven. Wow. Registered in heaven. Enrolled in heaven. We have come to God, the judge of all. And we have come to God as judge in such a way that we don't fear the judgment. Why? Because that's what he's getting to. That's what he's getting to. Uh, we have come to the God who is judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That is, those who have already passed out of this body, they have been perfected and they are in the presence of the Lord. 
even though he's the judge, he's not condemned them and thrown them out. Why? We're getting to it. And we have come to Yeshua, to Jesus, because he is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the one whose blood was sprinkled. Blood was shed. Blood was poured out. However you want to use that term, I think that is a reference to Isaiah 52, talking about the servant of the Lord whose blood uh, was sprinkled over the nations. Here his sprinkled blood, and it is a blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So here is this glorious picture that we have come to a spiritual reality that is transcends even the greatness and the fear of what took place in the physical realm for those people. Are we approaching this glorious reality in that same reverential awe? I think that's the question because here's, here's the thing. Abel's blood called out for vengeance for justice, for judgment. And Yeshua's blood calls out to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that great? It is wonderful. And Jerry, you just mentioned uh, Isaiah 52. I also want to mention Isaiah 53 about the mediator of a new covenant. Mm -hmm. Remember that? And that he said that the mediator would come and the mediator, and of course we're reading now, is Jesus. But we all need this mediator. We all need Jesus to stand between us and God. I mean, if, and that's what he did for us. He, he sacrificed his life so he, could be, so he could be a mediator and represent us before him. And, you know, and to, this sort of summarizes what we receive in Exodus 19 and 20, this, you know, scene at Sinai that you painted of the earth shaking and the trembling and, the, and God speaking the ten words and the boundary that if you cross, you were going to be thrust through with a spear. Mm -hmm. And so terrible was the sight that Moses himself said, I am terrified and trembling. So here we have the holy God giving us the boundary to our actions as human beings, the way to live. And when we cross that boundary, which we all fall short and we cross the boundary, what happens to us? We stand before God, the judge of all, mm -hmm. it says right there. And when these laws which God has of holiness and purity which God has given us when we are judged against the laws and fall short, which we all do, what do we need? We need Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, mm. and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than that of Abel. Praise the Lord that even though Abel's blood called out from the ground to God for vengeance because it was, you know, the blood of his creature. What have you done, Cain? God asked Cain, what have you done? That Yeshua the mediator gave his blood for to wash us clean of our sins so that it cries out to God, like you said, Jerry, for forgiveness and mercy. And then what does it say? See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of those warnings that I said you know, pop up throughout Hebrews is look at this mighty, magnificent thing that God has done for us through Yeshua. How can you go back to the old covenant how can you go back to the temple worship when we've been given a new sanctuary, when we've been given a new freedom, when we've been given forgiveness of sin? Uh, we have uh, no more offerings for sin because Jesus offered himself once for all, right? Amen. And so if, if you go back at this point, you are giving up on something so much greater. And if there were warnings in the old covenant about going back, 
how much more will that judgment be severe if we go back from Yeshua? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we don't we don't want to make this a a a. Uh, overwhelmingly fearful moment so much, you know, but I think that we have to uh, reckon with the scripture when it says that uh, we can start well but finish poorly. Or or we can start poorly but finish well Mm -hmm. because look at the hope he gives to us in Hebrews 12, 26 after what you said, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, talking about it, Sinai. But now he has given us a promise saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And this statement, yet once more, signifies the removal of those things that can be shaken, things that are created, said that, so that only those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that he promises will come, let us be gracious by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. 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 And that goes with, uh, you know, when Paul talks about everything that's seen as temporary, but the unseen things are eternal. This is the same idea here. We are, Paul writes to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, we, there is a warning for going back, but there is also the encouragement that we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Right. Though the, the, the pillars totter, it's the Lord who holds the foundations firm. And he has promised that there is, that, that Jesus is the prophet who, who lets us know about God. That Jesus is the priest who offers the appropriate sacrifice. And that Jesus is the king of a kingdom that will never fail. And the judge, the perfect judge. Well, yes, he, he is... <clears throat> going to come and judge the living and the dead, it says. And he will judge by his righteous standard. All of us are going to be held accountable to those ten words. And some will have escaped the judgment because they fled to Jesus, as the old song says. They were sprinkled with his blood. They were in the fountain. (laughs) You know, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? So many old songs about the blood of Yeshua, the blood of Jesus, that cleanses us from all sin. That's that's it. And the beautiful thing about the new covenant is it's not restrictive. It's a everybody come, come. Paul writes to us in a couple of different places. It's not reserved for Jews only, but for Jews and Gentiles, for men and women, for free people and slaves, wherever you are, whoever you are, Whatever your, your, your calling and the circumstances when you first heard the gospel, doesn't matter. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone needs salvation. Everyone is separated from God. Everyone needs a mediator. Jesus is all those things that we need. And that's why we are an Ephesians 2 ministry, because a ministry of reconciliation, because it's through his blood, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were formerly far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Amen. Amen. So as we wrap up, let's just consider once more uh, the God that we serve is the God whose presence makes mountains shake, whose appearance is like a consuming fire. He is worthy of our awe and reverence and fear. But he has also come to us in a body. His son, Yeshua, who took on that awesome presence and lived it out as a human and gave his life that we might be set free of our sins. And so if you have that appropriate fear of God, but you've never come to Yeshua, I want to invite you 
to turn to him now. He is the one who can make you right with God, free of sin, set forward on a path to everlasting life. So I invite you to pray with me now. Father in heaven, I see your greatness and I understand it. And I recognize how far away from it I am. I thank you that you sent Yeshua, Jesus, to bring us together, to be the one who will put his hand on my shoulder and your shoulder, that we could be reconciled. I understand that his blood paid for my sins. And I ask you now for the forgiveness and cleansing that comes through faith in him. And I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you will empower me, give me the power each day to live the life that makes you pleased. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you will have a wonderful week in Messiah and join us again next week. God bless you till then.